Let's talk about the more important Judean context now, which is where, in truth, the emergence of hell as we get it in Christianity later on, it's within this context of apocalyptic Judean culture that it, that it emerges. I want to scan through some examples in literature that show you different notions of punishment after death and also link it up with Satan when, it's, when Satan's evident in connection with the author who's thinking these things. Satan isn't always associated with punishment after death in this literature. Sometimes he is. Satan isn't always in the underworld where the dead are. Sometimes he is. It depends on which Judean or Christian author you read. And these things are also developing. And then one author may be influencing another author as, as time goes along. So it's within this Judean apocalyptic framework that the origins of hell are found. And it's part of that dualism. Remember that dualism is the central characteristic, in a way, of the Judean apocalyptic worldview that emerges in the 200s BCE. It may have been there in the 300s BCE, but we don't have evidence for it. But in the 200s BCE, this dualistic worldview where you have God and forces opposed to God, fallen angels or Satan. You have a place that ultimately Satan will end up and the people on the side of Satan will end up and you have a place where the people on the side of God will end up. This heaven and hell dualism goes along with the Satan and God dualism that we're talking about. And obviously the concepts of heaven and hell aren't fully developed yet. I'm using later terms to describe uh, what is only beginning to formulate in the 200s BCE right now. It's also within the apocalyptic worldview that you consistently see the idea of the resurrection. This can be either a resurrection of bodies, as seems more common in Judean literature in the 200s BCE and in the 100s BCE. We see it in different places. Sometimes it seems to be a soul, more like a platonic notion. In other words, where the Judean concept of death and, and a life afterwards get influenced by platonic notions of a soul within the body that, that goes on to live somewhere. But either way, there's this idea of a resurrection. And at the resurrection in the apocalyptic worldview, just like with Zoroastrianism, there will be a judgment where God or one of his emissaries deciphers who has been on God's side and who has been on Belial or Satan or the fallen angel or Mustama's side. And moral behavior is the determiner of whose side you've been on. In other words, who has followed God's laws determines where you belong. And that those who have not lived according to God's laws and who therefore uh, are living in line with Satan go on to be punished like Satan is punished or like the fallen angels are punished or like Semyaz is punished. And that the people that have followed the law within Judean culture, who have done what God has asked them to do, go on to some reward. Often it's expressed in terms of a, a blissful kingdom where everything is perfect. Most often it's expressed as an eternal kingdom with the implication of eternal life in that kingdom. When you die, your morality during life determines where you end up. That's what I mean by moral death. There's a bit of a complication on this, though. So we have the compartmentalization of divine beings into good and bad, and the compartment, in other words, angels, 
uh, the fallen angels being the bad guys, and humanity also put into two different compartments, right? Now, the way in which punishment of these figures is expressed in the end times, when God finally intervenes in the final cataclysmic intervention of the apocalyptic worldview, when he judges, the punishment is sometimes, depends on which author you read, sometimes it's destruction, so that Satan and everyone on the side of Satan, including humanity that lived in the way Satan lived, get obliterated. There's not need for hell in that situation, is there? So not in every case would an apocalyptic Judean necessarily have a hell in the sense in which it develops later. If you think of Satan being obliterated along with all those on Satan's side, then there's no need for anywhere for anyone to be punished eternally. That's the other option, right? In some Judean apocalyptic writings, there's eternal punishment instead of obliteration. And the eternal punishment can be given to Satan, or the fallen angels, or whatever it is, and to the f human beings who were on the side uh, of the fallen angels. And the idea there is that the final judgment is eternal torture for those who were on the wrong side. So, and sometimes even within one writing, you have hints of both, and you're not sure what to do. You may remember even in the Dead Sea Scrolls when you read the community rule, where there were the two spirits, the spirit of darkness and the spirit of light. Remember that? Even in that, and then it explained how there's a day of visitation when God will come in order to reward the, the ones who have been on the side of the spirit of light and, and punish the ones who have not. Even in that particular passage, there's talk of it being destruction of Satan and evil, and yet eternal punishment. Of, they're mixed together in the exact same writing. So even in one author, it can be ambiguous as to how this all works in their mind. Uh, the idea of destruction or eternal punishment. Because if you have eternal punishment, you need a place for them to be punished eternally. And that's hell. If you don't have eternal punishment, you don't need a place for them to be punished eternally, do you? Some of the factors here and where hell comes from, it's among apocalyptic Judeans who believe that there's eternal punishment for human beings after they're raised from the dead at the end times. It's the people who are thinking like that that becomes the place where uh, hell emerges. Another thing to remind you of in connection with apocalyptic worldview and the apocalyptic framework is uh, the, the idea of otherworldly journeys. Back when you read First Enoch, that was an example, remember that? Of a type of literature that scholars have identified. They've talked about apocalyptic literature and categorized into two categories. You don't need to remember this in detail, but I'm just trying to remind you of it. That there are historical apocalypses, this is a scholarly category, and that there are otherworldly journey apocalypses. Historical apocalypses are ones like the book of Daniel that you didn't have to read for this course. That the visions of the end that the author expresses in the first person, I saw this, I saw that, are about history. If you read in Daniel, it turns out, if you know your history, that he's really talking about the Seleucid Empire of the Hellenistic kingdoms and the Ptolemaic Empire, and that much of the visions he has that God reveals to him are about history, historical apocalypses. The other type of apocalypses that scholars categorize this way are otherworldly journey apocalypses, where the first person visionary account, where the person saying, I saw this, I saw that, God showed me this, God showed me that, is that the person who's gaining the visions, a visionary, is actually taken on a tour. 
And usually it's an angel accompanying the visionary. They're either asleep and having the vision and the angel takes them in their sleep to see something and God reveals secrets about the universe to them. Or in waking, uh, sometimes it's expressed almost like they think they were awake and they were taken by an angel and shown things. And the God showed them things with the angel being the guide, the angel being the interpreter, that the angel's always there to help out the visionary figure out what this vision means. In the first Enoch material, it's that Enoch gets taken uh, on a tour and he sees how the, the planets work. He sees where the stars are. He sees how the sun and moon work. He then gets taken to another place where he sees a pit that we're going to go into shortly. So in these otherworldly journeys, this is quite another important sort of genre of literature that continues after Judean culture of the Hellenistic period and continues into the Roman period, gets inherited by Christians, then becomes a genre of literature in the Middle Ages within Christianity. The tour of other worlds. The tour of heaven and hell. Remember that it's usually an angel that is there in these tours, explaining and, and taking the... He's your tour guide, the angel, if you're going to have one of these visions. In Dante... There's a little bit of a twist that we'll get into later. The Virgil replaces an angel as Dante's guide into the underworld. In other words, a poet, a Roman poet that's actually living in the underworld, gets permission to go and give Dante a guided tour of the underworld. I want to work quite fast through this material, but at least give you momentary glimpses into concepts of hell in different authors and how Satan relates to it. We're not going to be able to deal with them all uh, fully. First Enoch is one you've already read. And in First Enoch, from about two, the first part of First Enoch, remember, is from 225 BCE approximately. There we had that story of the fallen angels, Semyaz and uh, Azazel, that you guys know about. And then what happens to them after they have gone down to humans and mated with them and sh- shared the secrets. Remember that whole story? And so the emphasis in First Enoch is the judgment of these angels who have left heaven and gone and done something they shouldn't have done. And it's in the context of the judgment on these fallen angels that we have the seed of what becomes hell in later literature. And it's already sort of, there are implications that humanity belongs in the same place where the fallen angels go, even in this earliest instance of hell. Or it's not called hell, it's just called a pit, right? So here's a passage from at the point at which the angels have already gone down, down and done the deed, and now they're being judged by God. And then the visionary, Enoch, is speaking, and I saw. He's going to describe what he's seeing on this otherworldly journey that an angel is taking him on and that God is revealing to him. And I saw what was inside those mountains, a place beyond the great earth where the heavens come together. And I saw a deep pit. So this is what later is hell, but now we just got a pit with heavenly fire on its pillars, already fire associated with the pit. I saw inside them descending pillars of fire that were immeasurable in respect to both altitude and depth. And on top of that pit, I saw a place without the heavenly, without the heavenly firmament, outside the heavenly firmament, above it, or earthly foundation under it, or water. There was nothing on it, not even birds, but it was a desolate and terrible place. And I saw there the seven stars, which were like great burning mountains. Then the angel said to me, 
This place is the ultimate end of heaven and earth. It is the prison house for the stars and the powers of heaven. Now, do you remember what stars are in the Judean concept of it back then? It's the angels, right? So planets and, and even in the Greek thought, planets and stars are associated with gods or with angels here. The prison house of these stars is the prison house of those fallen angels, Semyaz and Azazel and their buddies. And it's a terrible, desolate place, and it's a pit in the ground, and there's fire associated with it already. There's another passage that goes into more detail where Enoch is seeing it again in a different way. I then proceeded from that area to another place, which is even more terrible, and saw a terrible thing, a great fire that was burning and flaming. The place had a cleavage that extended to the last sea, pouring out great pillars of fire. Neither its extent nor its magnitude could I see, nor was I able to estimate. It's a giant again, just huge flames everywhere. What a terrible opening is this place and a pain to look at. Then Uriel, one of the holy angels who was with me, responded and said to me, Enoch, why are you afraid like this? I answered and said, I am frightened because of this terrible place and the spectacle of this painful thing. And he said unto me, this place is the prison house of the angels. They are detained here forever. The idea of a prison that's a pit with fire where the fallen angels are held forever is already here in our first instance of the apocalyptic worldview. Obviously it existed before this guy was writing. People already had these thoughts. But this is our first glimpse of it in 225 BCE approximately. He then associates this with humanity and ties humanity into it that shows you it's this moral death issue that we've been talking about. He talks about Cain and Abel as rep in chapter 22 as representative of two camps of humanity. This is the spirit which had left Abel, he's witnessing, whom Cain, his brother, had killed. It continues to sue him until all of Cain's seed is exterminated from the face of the earth. And his seed, in other words, humanity that's on this side of Cain, has disintegrated from among the seed of the people. At that moment, I raised a question regarding him and regarding the judgment of all. For what reason is one separated from the other, Cain from Abel? And he replied to the angel and said to me, I think, or it's God, one or the other, these three have been made in order that the spirits of the dead might be separated. And in the manner in which the souls of the righteous are separated by the spring of water with light upon it, in like manner the sinners are set apart when they die and are buried in the earth and judgment has not been executed upon them in their lifetime, upon this great pain until the great judgment. And to those who curse there will be plague and pain forever and the retribution of their spirits. They will bind them there forever. So here already there's angels, the fallen angels, being bound forever in a place, and the idea that there's a bunch of Cain's, humanity that's wicked, murderous humanity, that likewise finds its place forever in some place of punishment, and plague and pain is the language that's used for it. So that's, I mean, there's a little more than that, but that's just about all you get from this first image, but it's quite a bit. Already, it's the first time we're seeing the Judean apocalyptic worldview. Already there's the idea of a judgment at the end time and the sifting of humanity into two camps with the bad camp going to a place similar or the same, one or the other, it's a bit unclear, as the place where the fallen angels go to be imprisoned 
forever. This idea of forever is already there in this particular instance. Rather than obliterate it, uh, I, there may be places where the destruction element comes in uh, in First Enoch, but I think it's mainly this idea of eternal, tormental punishment. So the, the, the fate of Satan, the fallen angels, is tied to the fate of humanity that's on the side of Satan, already in our earliest evidence. And that's going to be develop into hell, right? The, the place they end up. But so far, there's just, there's already fire there. Mention of fire. There's torment and plague there. That's just about all we get from this first image. Not much more. 